0: Hey, this week we've got Bill Dragoo on our exclusive rider skills segment, and Bill is going to talk about simple cornering methods for adventure motorcyclists. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. I'm Sam Ted Simon Austin Vance. Simon Paybe. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth
1: Liz Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.
0: Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. Motobreeze.com <laughs> Today we've got another one of our Rider Skills programs. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, for Rider Skills today, we have Bill Dragoo from Dart Adventures. Bill is a certified BMW factory train off-road instructor. He's a certified Motorcycle Safety Foundation rider coach. He's a moto journalist. He's also a certified flight instructor, skydiver, and scuba diver. Wow. Uh, He's competed and won in motocross, cross-country mountain biking, sailboat racing, and adventure riding. Bill is the founder of DART, which is Dragoo Adventure Training, and he's from Norman, Oklahoma. Bill, welcome back. Great to have you on the show again. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be back. You are having a busy season already, which I, I love to hear.
1: I love it, too. Uh, you know, as we've spoken before, this is not something I set out to do. It's uh, we tend to follow requests. And when people ask, we look for ways to say yes. And saying yes is, uh, has uh, done a lot for us this year. <laughs> we've had a, had a good one so far.
0: Wow, that's great. I, I certainly like to hear that. I like to hear things are opening up and people are out there. um Doing things, riding, et cetera. So I, I guess most of your things are classes at this point?
1: Yes. And our classes are all outdoors. Uh, so it's uh, considered the the safer of the environments, so I suppose, indoors versus outdoors. And uh, we always tell our students, uh, you know, please put up a hand. Uh, we want to be respectful if there's anything that uh, is happening here that might concern you r- relative to COVID. And uh, you can always close your face shield.
0: Yeah, well, um, so today we're, we're doing our rider skills, of course. We're talking cornering. And with this, though, so it seems to be um, something that, that can be quite a problem. You do find people missing the corner.
1: Yes. In fact, it's uh, it's the leading cause of fatality to motorcyclists involved in single vehicle accidents. So those where someone didn't turn in front of them, uh, we tend to do it to ourselves. We overshoot a turn.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And, and you would think that turning around a corner would be so simple. I mean, certainly if you think about it from a, a four-wheeler point of view from a car or truck, but it's not quite so simple with motorcycles,
1: is it? It's not. It's it's like so many of those things in life that we take for granted as a, a no-brainer. And as a MSF instructor, uh, you know, we're, we set up scenarios for students to uh, to kind of back into an accident and say, okay, what are the contributing factors? Whose fault or what was at fault in this accident? And suddenly you start coming up with things like uh, road conditions, glare, uh, fatigue, uh, anger, all, all uh, drugs, uh, you know, e- even uh, legal drugs that are just affecting our system. Um, there's so many things that we just didn't count on. And suddenly we find ourselves texting. Suddenly we find ourselves off into a ditch.
0: Mm-hmm. And the one thing about this is, is learning to corner better is one of those rare win-win-win situations. I think you, you you ride safer, easier, more comfortable. It's more fun, and on top of all of this, you can actually even ride a little faster if you need to or if you want to.
1: Absolutely, one of our our uh, challenges with folks on group rides. There's there's always that person who uh, is riding a little slower than the rest of the pack. And nobody wants to be that person and nobody wants to put that person down. But there's a stress. It's an unmentioned stress there for being that one that slows down uh, arguably too much on turns and then holds everyone up or eventually gets pinched off and, uh, and they drop off and go home
0: well we're going to be talking about um uh, some technicalities of getting of cornering, obviously, and there's probably some concepts that maybe we should talk about first so that um the listener can understand that as we go through the corner and and what we're going to talk about here is the steps that it takes to do a corner properly um, where Where do you want to start with that?
1: Well, I think that uh, the first thing we want to consider is ambient conditions. Uh, what kind of a day is it? What kind of road conditions? Might we see uh, on an average and then uh, we start talking about being able to see through the turn, uh, not overriding our sight line, sight distance uh, as we come into turns. So it's not always about how fast can we go, but, you know, uh, how safely can we maneuver through this turn?
0: And we're going to be using terms, I assume, like delayed apex, counter-steering, possibly even uh, trail braking, certainly uh, braking techniques. Are there any of those that we should talk about before we get in so that's understood?
1: Well, if you want to go through some definitions, we can. Mm -hmm. Um, If there's one in particular that you prefer we start with, I'm happy to to go from there or I can pick one out.
0: Well, well, I think counter-steering is probably good just to cover this lightly would be a good idea for those that maybe don't fully grasp countersteering.
1: It's interesting. We learned to countersteer on bicycles whenever we were children. And one of the reasons that we crashed quite a bit at first was that when I push left the motorcycle, you know, or push on the left handlebar to turn it to the right, the the bicycle or motorcycle does not go right. There's something wrong with that. (laughs) Our tricycle did, you know, our little Jeep toy did, but our motorcycle or bicycle does not. So why is that? Well, it's because of counter steering. And the short um, response to what is counter steering for me would be push right to go right, push left to go left. And then you get into the the nuance of the reasons why. And with uh with our classes, uh, I use a, a wheel that's a, it's a bicycle wheel that uh, has some has long uh, protrusions from the axle area there. their are handles that I've had machine. And you can spin this bicycle wheel and bump the right uh, foot peg, if you will, forward. And it does not necessarily turn that wheel to the left very much, but the top of the wheel tilts right very quickly. And so there is a gyroscopic effect. Uh, it's just the characteristics of a rotating mass that causes that, uh, any force applied to that mass, uh, mass to act 90 degrees from where it was applied. So that's part of what happens in countersteering. When we push on the right handlebar, we think that we're nudging that wheel to go one direction. And in fact, the reaction is quite beneficial to us. It causes the wheel to lean over in the appropriate direction for us.
0: You mentioned that we sort of learn this automatically riding bicycles. So why should it be any different or why should it be even something we need to discuss with motorcycles? But there are those times where a rider will get into a corner, find that they need to turn sharper and not really fully understand what they need to do to get it to turn sharper. And that's where understanding push push right means right, push left means left. Understanding what the what counter steering is doing comes into play. Am I Right.
1: Absolutely right. Uh, You know, push more, (laughs) lean. Uh, There there are things that we do, but in in, uh, our basic rider education classes, we teach the swerve as uh, an obstacle avoidance measure. And the idea is to keep our bodies relatively upright in this case and to push relatively forcefully and allow our hips to drop, but relatively forcefully in the direction that we want to swerve. And then come back again on the bars to correct and, and rejoin the original direction of travel once we've missed the obstacle. So, uh, you know, there are riders who freeze up, all of us have probably had this. Uh, sometimes we consider it's because of target fixation, but it's not always that. Sometimes it's a fear. It's even an irrational fear that the motorcycle doesn't have the ability to perform as we might be asking it to because it's beyond our scope of uh Knowledge and experience to make it lean that much, or to apply that much force to it. I'm not advocating just cranking on the handlebars. There are other things that happen, but the initial part is countersteering when we we initiate a turn. My son, my youngest son, and I were riding in Arkansas some years back, and I was starting to kind of swoop into the turns. We were just coming into the good turns after being on a lot of relatively straight roads, and. As I was picking up the pace and leaned into a turn, I checked my mirror, and I saw him straighten the motorcycle up. This is a right-hand turn. His feet came off of the foot pegs on both sides and went to the ground, dragging. And he headed off to the left shoulder of the road. Now, somehow he got collected. Uh, thank God he did not have an oncoming vehicle. And he was able to roll it out on the shoulder there and recover. And it it I probably sensed as much or more fear than he did in what had just happened, but he just wasn't ready for as much of a turn as what we had just encountered.
0: Mm, And he abandoned it at that point. He he sort of froze, choked and gave up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's why the feet came off the pegs.
1: And and. Mm
0: -hmm. so um, what about a delayed apex?
1: So one of the methods that we can use to ride through turns safely is to not hit the, the the perfect center of a symmetrical turn. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, in the early days of Motorcycle Safety Foundation, we taught outside, inside, outside path of travel for a turn. So what that would mean is if you were in a right-hand turn, you would initially go to the leftmost point, closest to the center line before making that turn. And you would do this for a couple of reasons. You would, uh, one, you have better sight distance through the turn. You can look, uh, hopefully, all the way to the end, or at least at a sooner point within the turn, see where the exit of the turn is. So at the a, a point between where you begin the turn in and you straighten up again at the end of the turn is the apex. If that turn is symmetrical, then the apex is halfway through that, those two points. So in supposedly a perfect world we would shoot for the apex and then we would come out of the turn and all things would be just right up to our maximum possible speed based on physics tire conditions etc well if we choose a late apex if instead we choose rather than hitting that that central central point in the turn if we hold our outside line a little bit longer and then shoot for the apex before beginning to straighten up and finish the turn. That gives us a lot more buffer on the back end of the turn.
0: So, and will we be using trail braking? Will you be talking about that?
1: We can talk about that. Uh, a lot of people don't use it. They don't understand the concept. And then some use it not knowing that there's a name for what they're doing. But trail braking is actually beginning to break, uh, and then breaking on into the turn as you roll in. As a, a road racer, and I am not a road racer, I don't presume to, to uh, be an expert at the, the nuance of, of going absolutely as fast as you can on a motorcycle, although I've been accused of going plenty fast at plenty of times, probably at, at an error in judgment more than any skill. But uh, trail braking is, we roll into the turn, we begin to apply the brakes, either front or rear brake, both would constitute trail braking as a uh, if we're really starting to push the performance envelope of course we know that the more that we brake with the front brake the more we can we're loading that front wheel uh, we're also compressing the suspension on most motorcycles a motorcycle like the the BMW uh, r1200 GS for example with the telelever does not squat in the front but those that squat in the front we're beginning to change the geometry of the motorcycle so it can actually turn in quicker um, there are a number of good things that happen in trail braking that uh, benefit us if we do apply that technique.
0: What about that a bike will will usually turn better than we will allow?
1: Right, right. And this is, of course, where practice comes into play. Uh, fear, I would consider the number one limiting factor in our ability to negotiate a turn safely for some of the reasons that we mentioned earlier. But uh, once we get into that turn, we have to make a decision very quickly if, if, we're, if we're pushing the turn at all. We have to make a, a decision as to whether to try and slow down or to simply lean more. And those are really the only two ways that we can get through a turn from, from the point where we are at at that given moment. What are some of the common
0: mistakes that you see people make with corners?
1: There are a number of mistakes. Uh, being rough is one. Smooth is definitely a a significant key to success in uh, in all that we do when we're riding but in particular in cornering so being smooth as we roll off the throttle not downshifting and then suddenly releasing the clutch which can break the rear wheel loose and cause the bike to come out from underneath us or in braking suddenly with the front brake especially if something happens we uh, that that thing that happened might just be our sudden awareness that you know what now I see the end of this turn, and this turn is a decreasing radius turn. I don't like it, so I need to, uh, I need to slow down. And we, we back off the throttle and reach for the brakes, which upsets the suspension on the motorcycle. Or we simply straighten up and try to, uh, to stop suddenly, which can take us across that uh, center line very quickly in a right-hand turn or uh, off the road in a left-hand turn.
0: And what about speed?
1: Yeah, we definitely need to keep our speed in check and under control. And just because the person in front of us is going uh, a given speed, that may not be our speed. It may not be a safe speed for us. So here again, trusting, knowing and trusting those that you're riding with, uh, not pushing the speed envelope, it, it's fun to do. I mean, I get it. I think everyone who has r- ridden a motorcycle gets it. Uh, and we've probably all been subject to the pitfalls of that uh, in to some degree. So we definitely want to work up to our cornering as we're uh, beginning to go out and and start running the sweepers.
0: One of the things that I I often see with motorcyclists is that left-hand corner and then hugging the center line. That's a problem.
1: It is. We lean across the center line. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, you know, I I don't want to pick on cruiser riders. I am one. I have a Harley in in my garage, but, uh, Sometimes just riding too abreast, we or even in a staggered formation, we really select our, our points of, of uh, travel in the road. And it's almost like a regiment that we have to stick to. And some of these bikes have long handlebars. They have uh, wide highway pegs, uh, whatever it might be. But they don't even have to exist, just leaning can get us over into that uh, into that oncoming lane. So on a left-hand turn, if we're hugging the inside lane or we're apexing on the inside of that turn, and especially on the mountain road where there are a lot of obstructions, then we can be right over into that opposite lane of traffic and uh, at, at very best annoying to the person coming against us.
0: And, and the other thing is that I notice is that the yellow line, the double yellow line in the middle, it seems to be a bit of a spot where people are finding their wheels as as they're going. So you, you'll see a car coming towards you and think they're on the center line. What are they doing? But I'm seeing this more and more, at least where I am. I don't know if you're seeing it.
1: Well, I see it from time to time, both, as you say, the motorcyclist and the automobile rider. And the two cannot safely occupy that same space at the same time. So we have to have a buffer. You know, we need to create a time and space buffer between us and what dangers there might be. So this kind of leads me back to the point that I mentioned early on uh, that the MSF used to teach an outside, inside, outside path of travel. And they've kind of gone to, for for early riders in particular, more of an inside, inside, inside path of travel, which allows a buffer in both directions. Uh, not a bad idea. It's not the most efficient way to get through a turn. But as we improve our skills. Uh, and we're always learning. All of us are always learning. But as we improve our skills, we need to be mindful of how much safety buffer we have and be deliberate about having that safety buffer, creating that safety buffer. So certainly not hugging the center line or even the edge of the road would be a, a good way to start.
0: And, and the thing is with the, the largest radius of the turn, that, that requires the least amount of traction also gives you the, the most time for uh, correcting something, doesn't it? For, for dealing with maybe animals or gravel or, or anything you run across in the corner that you couldn't see, but in particular in a corner that you can't see through to begin with.
1: Yeah, the larger radius being the, the close to the center line on the left side on a right-hand turn and close to the, to the right-hand uh, edge of the road on a left-hand turn uh on the outside edge of the turn it gives you a lot more buffer to the inside it does typically give you a longer sight distance into the turn but it gives you less maneuverability to the outside so let's say we're just carving a really nice left hand turn and we're hugging that outside shoulder and we begin to feel ourselves uh near the limit of either our willingness to lean or the motorcycle's traction, whichever truth might actually exist, um, it's very difficult to correct for that. Even, certainly trail breaking, uh, but if we are already at the skill level to where we would, uh, or, or below the skill level, where we would not be able to recognize the need for a little more buffer, we probably won't be very effective at trail breaking too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, hugging either line is just not a good idea. I think for those reasons, however, allowing some buffer does give you just that margin that you might need.
0: Okay. So let's, let's tackle the corner. So let's imagine we're coming up to a corner. No, I think you started off with this, but what's the first thing that we're doing as we approach a corner?
1: Well, they used to call it slow look. Um, let's see. Oh goodness! Now, slipper I think was the was the acronym, but slow look, press and roll. So uh, we would roll off the throttle, look into the turn, press the handlebar in the direction that we're going, and then roll back on the throttle to smoothly exit the turn. Uh, that's a, a, a simplification of how it's to be done, but they they changed that in the MSF to the three S's: search set up and smooth uh, again if i'm remembering that correctly i'm not actively coaching for the msf now so uh, those who who are please forgive me for the uh, uh, for butchering this <laughs> but I, I think we're fairly close um being smooth we definitely want to reduce our speed if we're going at a good clip and the signs on the road are a pretty good indication you know if you're at a, in a 65 mile an hour speed limit and you're coming up on a 35 mile per hour curve sign might be a good idea to slow down for that until you learn the, uh, well, it's certainly a good idea to slow down anyway. But how much you slow down uh, can be adjusted according to uh, what you learn about the road and how these roads are laid out. So some roads, for example, in Mexico might have a sign that says to slow down to a certain amount, but the roads can be very um, uneven. They can be uh, unpredictable. Even the road surfaces change significantly more. This is less so now than it was in years past in the places that I've traveled down there, but it still exists. Uh, so planning to slow down for a turn before you press into your counter countersteer uh, is not a bad idea.
0: So you're you're scrubbing off all your speed with your brakes that you need to scrub off before you actually enter the corner. So that that's your corner setup. You're looking at the corner, you're deciding uh, roughly what you can see in the corner, sort of assessing that, scrubbing off your speed for the setup. Am I am I right so far? That's correct. Okay. So um, where do I want to be set up? Let's let's say we're we're coming up to a right-hand corner. Am I on the inside or am I on the outside or whereabouts?
1: Well, you know, we we talked about the outside-inside-outside path of travel versus inside-inside-inside. Most of us will use some form of the outside-inside-outside path of travel. Uh, So let's begin by allowing a little bit of margin. When we say outside, let's don't go all the way to the center line. Uh, You know, there are times when it's safe to do so. There is no oncoming traffic. Uh, It's fine to do that, yes, but as a matter of practice, let's certainly not broach that that center line if we're making a right-hand turn for our outside-inside path of travel. So we will set up on the outside of our turn. We will look into our turn. And things that we're looking for are, of course, road conditions, uh, the the tilt of the road. Is it, uh, is it uh, angled to our benefit or is it an off-camber that is not to our benefit? Those will be some... Um, those will inform our decision as to how much to slow down. And then also trying to find the the exit of the turn. Uh, we don't want to go railing into a turn hot, looking for an arbitrary apex, and then find out that this was a, a, a J-turn or what we would call a J-turn. That's a decreasing radius turn. So we need to just kind of manage that speed in a controllable way, a way that in your gut will tell you, Uh, go into it at a speed that feels controllable. And then once we see that apex, we can pretty much, or excuse me, that exit, we can pretty much do what we want as far as rolling back on and enjoying the rest of the turn. So we would cross at the apex uh, towards the inside of the turn, and then we would simply fade back to the outside of that turn, leaving margin there as well, that we don't have to cross the center line.
0: So, and and you also mentioned about, you've said several times about, about being smooth. Why does it mean, why does it matter so much to be smooth?
1: You know, I consider a motorcycle a little bit like riding a horse. Uh, It doesn't have a brain, but sometimes they act like they do. And a horse can sense how you feel. It can sense your mood. It can sense if you're nervous, if you're uncertain, if you're unsure, um, if you're unbalanced uh, on its back. And a good horse will will help you with that, and a mischievous horse will ch- take advantage of those moments, those opportunities to pitch you into the ditch. Our, our motorcycles are a lot like a horse, and uh, although they don't have a brain, I consider them very sensitive to our feelings, to our moods, to our uh, our actions, our inputs. And a good horse will work with you. you know, a stable motorcycle will work with you to an extent. And it will allow uh, more errors in in judgment and in input, whereas uh, one that's maybe a bit mischievous is going to take advantage of our uh, uncertainty, uh, possibly being imbalanced on its back to pitch us off. Well, uh, we can upset any horse, and our horse being the motorcycle in this case, if we're gripping the handlebars tightly, uh, we don't have the dexterity that we have with a a normal grip, not necessarily a loose grip, but a normal grip, just a comfortable grip on the handlebars as we're negotiating curves. We're setting up for the curves, uh, we're exiting the curves, using the brakes, uh, even shifting up or down, which uh, arguably in some instances is not a good idea, depending on road conditions and and what all's going on. But if we make quick movements, we're more likely to make changes in the suspension and in the what the contact patch of our tires would be feeling and can cause an upset.
0: Hey, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back with more. Stay with us. So most of us have been cooped up for the past year or so. Well, I've got some great news for you. You're going to want to slot some space out for this. Coming up in July, this summer, is the all-new Adventure Motorcycle Rally called The Get On ADV Fest is presented by RevZilla. It's all happening in the Black Hills of South Dakota at the Buffalo Chip Campgrounds. This should be an incredible event. It's July 15 to 18. They've got Harley-Davidson attending, Kawasaki, Continental Tires, BMW, and a huge list more of companies that are involved with this. They're going to be there with uh, gear to sell and for you to try out and look at. Rever is curating routes for adventure motorcycling in all different levels. So it's going to be set up in different levels so you can ride these routes while you're there. There's going to be seminars, presentations, entertainment. This is set up to be a huge adventure motorcycle event. And I hope it's it's um, the first of many to come. Now, I mentioned the manufacturers being there. Well, get this. They're going to have bikes for you to test ride as well. BMW is also setting up a taste of GS Trophy. That's where you get to ride a course that's like the GS Trophy course and then get pro tips from uh, trainers and you know, when I looked at the list of companies involved, it's staggering. I mean, really impressive and growing by the day. It has all the makings of a top-tier event. And the location is absolutely fantastic. On a raw show, we have Michelle Lampfare. Michelle Lampfare is from the Black Hills of South Dakota. She says it herself, that the riding there is amazing. Matter of fact, everyone, whoever mentions Black Hills, South Dakota to me, says the same thing. It's a destination in itself. It's like the perfect place to put something like this on. So all kinds of things, ADV happening at the first ever Get On ADV Fest presented by RevZilla. So you get your tickets at RevZilla.com slash ADV fest. So RevZilla.com slash ADV hyphen fest. Now we're going to put a link of course on our, our sponsor page on the website. So you can go to our website and find it as well. If you can't find it or if you can't remember it and make sure anytime you're dealing with them, when you go to book your tickets, if there's a way to let them know, just tell them you heard them here on adventure rider radio, but this thing, this is going to be amazing. I really look forward to this. The get on ADV fest. You know, we all spend a lot of time thinking about what bags or what panniers we want for our motorcycle. Now, if you're looking at bags, have a look at giant loop. Giant Loop's motto is go light, go fast and go far. It's really unique about Giant Loop is their approach of the of the designs and what they make. They make purpose-built products designed to enhance your riding experience. They eliminate the extra buckles and straps and which those extra buckles and straps often they just get in the way, they just end up flopping around. So they design lightweight products that are purposeful, reliable and above all extremely tough. Designed for anybody who rides a dual sport, even a dirt bike, riding up to an adventure bike. They've got a, a modular luggage system that, that can fit on any motorcycle. And you don't need a rack either. That, that's one important thing. If your, your bike doesn't have a rack, maybe it, it can't even take a rack. You can still get giant loop products to fit on your bike and they stay put anyway their website is giantloopmoto.com and you can buy their gear any at any dealer that sells quality gear or through giant loop themselves giantloopmoto.com is their website and be sure to throw in there you heard them here on adventure rider radio ims products has been around since 1976 way back in 1976 over 40 years ago well over 40 years ago they started making uh, hard parts for motorcycle racers they continued to do that through the years. And just about every off-road racer has some IMS product on their on their bike now, especially pushing the top levels. And there's a reason for that, because they take what they've learned over all of those years and they apply it to everything new they make. The company's always been run by ex-racers, uh, off-road racers, motorcyclists. And it's still that way now. The owner is still a motorcyclist and they stand behind their products. They have a full line of Adventure Motorcycle foot pegs. Everything from the large ADV1 and ADV2, which is our, a huge platform, Really nice for adding control and leverage to your bike, but as well giving you some comfort for the long stretches. So, if you're doing that type of riding, if you're doing more technical riding, they've got smaller, more aggressive uh, two foot pegs. Their website is imsproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) imsproducts.com. So to go back to, what you, to the way you explained the corner, so w- w- I just want to cover a couple of things here because one, you said look into the corner. So we, we've got our setup, we've scrubbed off our speed and we're we're a little bit wide on the corner. So we're on the outside of the corner. And you mentioned look into the corner. C- can you talk about that?
1: Well, we always want to look ahead where we're going on the motorcycle, not down necessarily. I I tend to be a little more, slack maybe than some instructors on how deeply we look into a turn uh, as far as fixing our eyes. I teach my students to, to look into the turn and then to sweep. You need to be able to perceive what's right in front of you, but you don't want to be fixated on that. That is where target fixation can become a problem. So if we're looking down as we're looking into a turn, that's not necessarily a good idea. In fact, it's usually not a good idea. But we can glance uh, to see the road surface. But then, our, I I call this Spider Man eyes. Okay, this is silly, right? So just bear with me for a minute. My uh, analogy is that uh, you know we watch Spider Man. He goes from building to building by. Pointing his wrists and this web shoots out and it it drags him to the building on the right and then the building on the left. And we all would love to have that ability. Well, with a motorcycle, we have this ability to a great extent, only it's Spider-Man eyes rather than Spider-Man wrists, if you will. Where we look with our eyes almost creates a tractor beam to draw us towards it. And that is one of the early and more significant uh, tools that we can use, attributes of the human ability that we can use to bring us smoothly and successfully through a turn. So we're looking for the exit of the turn, certainly we're looking for obstacles, other things that might occur as we're negotiating the turn. and we're looking, you know for all of these things that uh, that help us to plan our turn. So yeah, use spider man eyes in the turn. That makes sense.
0: and we're keeping our head level at this point, trying to keep the horizon level.
1: You know, uh, I remember following my friend Norman Heineke when uh, we were young men. He was uh, the the state champion in motocross. I was just entering motocross. And when Norman would lean into a turn, I remember his head always cranked to an odd angle. And what I didn't realize, he was leveling his eyes with the turn so that his point of reference was always the same. He was creating a datum a fixed point of reference, a reliable point of reference as he went through these turns. And it's, you know, so that's that's what you see it with road racers. That's what you see with cruiser riders. Anybody who is riding correctly, uh, their eyes are remaining fairly level with that road as they, they go into the turns. But yeah, so your eyes are kept level with the road as you're making that turn and as you're looking deep into the turn.
0: You're saying start out wide, then cut in as we can see through the corner why can't we just stick to the inside like a racer and whip around the corner
1: well you can you can but you're gonna go a lot slower if you do that uh you're gonna encounter any obstacles let's let's uh, presume that right hand turn is against a mountain and rocks fall from the sides of the mountain, there's going to be a rock, so you're going to have to go around it. Fortunately, you're, you're not an experienced rider if you're just doing that. Uh, probably not. Now, there are reasons to do it. Uh, oncoming traffic, uh, off pavement, th- you know, things that we do in the backcountry discovery routes and all, we have a ride-right routine where we deliberately ride to the right. But in a normal turn on pavement, if we stick to the right, we have limited our sight distance significantly. Uh, it's a good thing to practice. It's a good thing to test. Uh, go shoot a turn two or three times the same turn and start out just on the inside of the turn. And notice where you first begin to see the eggs of the turn, how far you are through the turn before you do. And then try it again from the middle or from the outside, closer to the center line in that right-hand turn. And you'll notice you can see much, much farther through the turn. So there are a number of reasons to use that uh, I would call it a modified outside-inside-outside outside path of travel for normal riding, not the most high performance, but for normal riding.
0: What role does the acceleration play on the exit?
1: Well, it stabilizes the motorcycle suspension. Um, you know, when you when you apply power, uh, it doesn't squat, you know. People might think that it's going to squat in the back, but because of the geometry, the design that the engineers have have created within the motorcycles, it presses the tire, the rear tire, more into the pavement. Um, It does tend to lift the front just a little bit, and that's why trail braking up and and until the apex is a good thing. Now, if you're trail braking with power, which is a, uh, a characteristic of trail braking, it can be done you're both pressing the back tire and the front tire into the pavement. So you're braking a little bit um, and you're, you're leaning into your turn. All of those things are pressing the tire down into the pavement. And then once you can begin to roll up into, into a straightening position more, as you're accelerating, that's going to put more uh, more pressure on the back tire. Now, if you overdo it, you can spin a tire out. You don't want to do that. But rolling in smoothly is going to help stabilize the motorcycle and it will increase your fun factor as you leave the turn and help
0: stand the bike up and and off you go
1: well uh, yes good point and i that is one that i should have mentioned but it yeah as you accelerate that does tend to naturally bring the motorcycle to a more upright position it takes less cranking on the bars it just happens because of the centripetal force the force a ball would feel on the end of a string as it's accelerating so that centripetal force from accelerating with your uh, by rolling on the throttle is going to help the motorcycle stand up naturally.
0: You said that it, uh, a couple of times there. You've said it puts more pressure onto the the tire against the road. How if the bike only weighs so much?
1: Where's the more pressure coming from? Well, so let's uh, let's just talk about g forces. I mean, so braking and g forces are the two places that it comes from. Uh, g forces can come from lean. So the faster we're going in a turn, if we had a G uh, 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 meter on our bodies or on our motorcycles and it was registering one G, one times the weight uh, or the pull of gravity, as we're going straight down the road, as we begin to lean into that turn at speed, we're going to see that G meter go up. So those Gs have to go somewhere and they're pressing down against the contact patch. So our vector of force where it was vertical relative to uh, the road before becomes diagonal, uh, assuming a flat road, it becomes diagonal to the road as we're leaning, but it does put more force on the road. Uh, so the G-forces are what? Braking is the other way that we get it. And initially rolling in uh, as we're trail braking, then that force is applied to the front tire and we get uh, a bit more traction from that as well.
0: So I think what you're saying is if we go faster, we have more traction. So that would mean we could go faster still.
1: Yeah, you can.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so this is where
0: we, we sort of alluded to right at the start, even that by learning the, the proper technique of going through the corner, you can actually increase your speed because of these factors.
1: That's true. And of course, all good things must come to an end. And at some point, the force of, uh, the G-forces in the turn will exceed the maximum ability of that tire to maintain contact with the pavement, no matter how hard we're pushing down. And it's because we're also pushing diagonally. So let's say we were uh, on a um, uh, motor drone. Uh, some people might remember the motor drones that they had in the, at the fairgrounds years ago. And this was basically a tube uh, that was uh, standing on its end, uh, maybe 30 feet in diameter Uh, or more. And motorcycles would go around and around on that tube. Well, all of their force was, was, or a significant amount of their force was vertical relative to the side of that tube. That's all well and good. But if you begin to angle that tube or make that tube a cone, then it's just like us turning on that highway. Uh, We're essentially uh, sharing our turning forces uh, with those forces that are uh, holding us down to the ground. And at some point, one exceeds the other. Uh, the one that holds us down to the ground is not a problem. That person on the motor drone can't go too fast and, and cause themselves to lose traction. They might black out, but they're not going to lose traction. But on a motorcycle, in a turn on a road, because it's not vertical, that force is diagonal to the road, the um, relative to the amount of our lean, at some point, we break loose and we fall.
0: With riding an adventure bike, are are there some specifics to that, being that we have long travel suspension, that we might have extra gear on? Does that sort of change the dynamics of the corner?
1: Significantly. Uh, One of the things that we we first look at is tires, of course. Uh, On an adventure bike, we're probably, especially for aggressive adventure riders, riding a 50-50 or more, off-road bias tires so those are factors loading of the motorcycle uh you know the the load triangle i mean there are so many tidbits from the basic rider education course that are that are important to know that we weren't it's knowledge we weren't born with but the load triangle uh putting everything is close to the center of the motorcycle rather than having a uh our heavy tool bag hanging off of the very back or um you know, a water jug hanging off the front of the handlebars or the front fender. I mean, you know, we've seen all of this. We see motorcycles loaded in some of the most uh, unlikely ways, especially in foreign countries where they're carrying sometimes four people, maybe four adults and a baby on a 150 mm. cc motorcycle or a cow. Uh, I saw a, a cow, a, a cow, a calf, a camel. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's uh, the 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 limit is only our imagination or theirs, uh, and the, ultimately the. The integrity of the motorcycle but uh yeah so so loading a motorcycle higher or imbalanced um you know i hate to pick on anybody but uh even recently on a ride that i was on i had uh we had someone who was a, a relatively new to adventure riding rider load a motorcycle with only one pannier and he joked with me whenever I, I mentioned it to him, but I, I didn't really call him out on it. But I just said I was going to mention to you about your your single pan There he goes. Oh well, it's it's not a problem. I said, well, okay, but it kind of is, and it's no, it's just my water. <laughs> so, oh. and and he was falling regularly, and that it wasn't just because of that, but it was because of that kind of thinking, a uh, kind of an unwillingness to go with the uh, kind of proven techniques that everyone around him, uh, all the more experienced riders, were employing. And yet he was riding it as though it was maybe a sidecar. I don't know. But uh, that's not helpful to do things that imbalance our motorcycle front, back, or to the side. Even that little nuance may be just what we uh, could have used on a side hill. But The the load was on the wrong side and it caused us to lose traction where otherwise we might have slipped by, so to speak.
0: How about cornering clearance as well? You know, your foot pegs are probably the thing that are going to end up touching first and all that extra weight and possibly a bump in the corner.
1: Yeah. So uh, typically we'll want our motorcycle to be lower if we're uh, doing, if we're canyon carving. The adventure bikes are, are beautiful for this because uh, many of them have suspension settings that either uh, change the, uh, the spring rate or not the spring rate right necessarily, but the, the spring preload and the damping, <clears throat> the uh, resistance to movement of the suspension. So we usually want it a little bit firmer and a little bit lower. So we lower the center of mass on the motorcycle by lowering the suspension and by lowering our loading of the motorcycle. Uh, it does lower our ground clearance, which, uh, whenever we do that, if we, you know, for example, on my R1250GS, uh, it's a, an HP with the rally suspension, so I can adjust it up and down by a fairly good amount, but I'll run it on the low settings, but I tend to drag the pegs sooner on these turns. And that's something to be aware of. We've improved the the physics of the motorcycle by lowering it as far as weight goes and the, uh, the tendency for uh, loading of the motorcycle to to uh, make it stand up more, for example, on a turn. But we've also caused it to have less ground clearance so that it can drag. <clears throat> if we drag too much, we can uh, at some point leverage a tire. Usually it's a rear, but it could be either one out from under the motorcycle. And we see this on baggers uh, a lot where you have floorboards and, exhaust pipes and motorcycles that just only have so much lean angle. Uh I recall being on Deals Gap in uh North Carolina, Highway 129, uh some years ago, and coming across a woman who had fallen on the road on her uh large Harley Davidson bagger. And you could see the marks. First uh the 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 uh side, the floorboard had hit and then there was a rubber mark. Uh, where the tire had begun to skid just a little bit, and then there was no more rubber mark. it was just all where where iron had crated against pavement mm-hmm. and uh, it was an unfortunate situation, but that motorcycle uh, had exceeded its limits
0: it's lean limits, so in other words, if she could have leaned the bike further, it likely would have stayed in the corner it's it's um, hitting the running boards that's
1: taking the bike out exactly. yeah, mm-hmm. we, she just pried the tires out from under the motorcycle now, to her credit. Uh, By golly, she kept leaning. And that's what a lot of us won't do. You know, we'll get down and maybe touch a toe or touch a foot peg or not even touch anything. Uh, We just touch our nerves. (laughs) And that seems to be our limit. And so we continue either at that lean angle or we reduce it and run off the road. But your question is uh, is beginning to address the actual physical capabilities of the motorcycle. So how can we improve that and uh, proper loading within that load triangle? Uh, not loading it too far aft, too far forward, uh, or putting things on the motorcycle that limit our, our lean angle. Those are all things that can uh, uh, make us better able to deal with the turn.
0: And if you are that way, then you need to be aware of it, I guess, and slow down and take the corner slower. Because certainly you can take it slower and still make the corner.
1: That is always an option up until we have run, it, you know, run out of it in a, into a turn by pressing it too far. Mm-hmm.
0: Which, which that woman you talked about that would sort of be the explanation there really it was too fast in a corner
1: it was too fast for her path of travel in that turn right could a a different rider and i can only guess at her experience like she may have been very experienced and just had a bad day uh, as has happened to any and all of us at some point sure but so that gets to path of travel you know it may be that she was riding to abreast i don't know i wasn't there when she fell but if uh, if we are forcing this uh, chips riding style from the, the old chips uh, motor, uh, TV program motorcyclists riding or highway patrols riding side by side, um, if we are forcing ourselves to ride like that just because we think it's cool or it's fun or for whatever reason, then we're limiting our ability to use outside, inside, outside path of travel. Uh, even if we're riding that way solo and just staying to one line of travel, kind of to your point on the staying on the inside lane before, uh, at some point uh, at a given speed, we will reach a, uh, a point where the motorcycle can no longer lean without dragging. So you could slow down to prevent that uh, or to mitigate it, or you could use an outside inside path of travel, choosing a better path and go right through that turn and, and either barely drag or not drag at all.
0: And we talked about being loaded and the one thing I was thinking of is a, as a bump in the middle of the corner, you know, something that you don't expect to have and how that load can change that. And my example would be, I can remember riding with my wife on the back of the bike and we're loaded up for camping as well. I normally ride by myself. That's sort of, you know, that's what I'm, I'm used to doing. But with the extra weight on the bike, there was a, a corner that we went into. This is a pretty tight corner, but we hit a bump, just a small bump. But because there's so much extra weight on the bike, it compresses suspension more than what it normally would. And all of a sudden I've got a peg dragging, you know, just for a second, which surprised me.
1: Yeah, that can be really startling. Uh, A passenger or a heavily loaded bike uh, can do that when you've been riding the motorcycle without either of those uh, for a period of time, maybe even on the same roads. And suddenly that motorcycle drags. G-outs are a a, a place where this happens often. Uh, A G-out is a dip, basically. And uh, when you ride through it, they're fun. Uh, we, we When I we was we kids, we called them tickle bellies. You know, you go through a G out in a car. Oh, the happy, we that, would
0: call them happy hills, right? That's what sort of I remember calling hills,
1: yeah, yeah. So you, you drop down and you feel that G-force, uh, which in a automobile, you seldom feel it, uh, especially with mom or dad driving the car. They're probably being a little more cautious than we were as teenagers when we first got our license. So going through a, a swale or a G out or a dip in the road can suddenly cause you to, uh, uh, change everything on the motorcycle. It could be from dragging or whatever. I remember being on, uh, the Talamina skyline drive with Susan, uh, my wife, uh, some years back and we were on our Harley Davidson and there was a, I even have a story about this somewhere on my website, but, uh, uh, we were riding through, uh, and it was actually raining during this time. And there was a fella on a, uh, on an Indian who had pulled out behind us. This guy was a great rider and he pulled up and he passed us. Well, I can't let that stand, of course. And I passed him back and we began kind of dicing through these turns. And I remember going through a G out and our, you know, our motorcycle drug a little bit going down it. And when it came up, it just drifted and it, it drifted quite a bit. I'm embarrassed and ashamed to say that, uh, but, but I'm honest enough to say that, uh, I caused this to happen by being overzealous in my riding and fortunately I probably more by luck than skill all we got was a drift uh, you know the right things happened and the motorcycle didn't fall but we need to be aware these things exist and when we ride on the edge and use the road as our racetrack uh, we increase our risk of, of having something go sideways because of it Literally
0: speaking, it's easy to to dissect a corner and talk about cornering from a from a very clinical view. But that, like you said, that the wild card is the road, the public roads. I mean, you know, there could be something that spilled on the road. There could be a tree across the road. I mean, I've come around a corner before and find there's a a construction zone where they're standing there, and I'm thinking, what are they doing? You can't see them until you actually come around this corner. But hey, that doesn't matter. It's there.
1: We should never outride our sight distance. We all do it from time to time. But we are in a gray zone when we do that. <clears throat> we are asking for trouble. Uh, that's whether it be due to night conditions on a straight road, uh, any conditions on curvy roads. Uh, we should never outride our ability to, to slow to a safe speed, if not stop, uh, within a reasonable distance. So if, you know, we all say safety is number one, or we probably all said that at some time or another, but do we really ride like it is? Uh, we can have a lot of fun on these machines by riding within our envelope, and our envelope grows as our experience grows. Our deliberate, practiced experience grows. So, uh, getting training can certainly be something that can help us to expand that. And training should be done uh, on on tracks. I mean, on a track day is a great place, even for adventure riders to uh, to uh, go out and learn, really to test the limits and to to uh, increase their limits. You know, you've had Sean Thomas on your show a number of times. Sean is a good friend and someone I admire greatly. And I've watched him come up through the uh, through the ranks uh, with his writing skill from not being an off-road writer at all to where he is now that, you know, I won't even take our time to describe. But Sean spends a significant amount of time on uh, the track. And you can see it. You can see the improvement in his writing skill. He does some great videos with it. And uh, that's something we should all do. We spend a lot of money on helmets. We spend a lot of money on riding gear. And Lord knows we spend a lot on our motorcycles and on the bling. To invest in that kind of riding uh, experience is is probably one of the best things that we can do as long as it does not give us license to overdo it on the roads.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, Bill, what can we do um, when we do make a mistake? You you know, when you do find yourself into a corner and you're too hot, you're you're coming in too fast, what are our options when it comes down to this?
1: Well, uh, really what we need to do is there there are two things that we might do to get through that turn once we've made the error of entering it too quickly and even possibly on a bad line. And that is to slow down or lean more or a combination thereof.
0: Now when you say slow down, a lot of people will have learned that the only way the only time you ever break is when you're vertical. But mm-hmm. now you're in the corner and you're leaned over.
1: Right. So, uh, I'll harken back to the MSF again. They used to teach never to break into in a turn, but to straighten the motorcycle, brake and then go back into a turn. Then they began to teach what you and I would know as trail braking to a greater extent. Uh, they're not trail braking under power where you're looking for all the potential stabilizing effects of suspension while the motorcycle is being driven forward to some degree, but they're just saying begin to brake in the turn. And as you straighten, you can increase your, your braking. So let's just go with the, uh, um, let's go with the straighten and brake scenario first. So let's say leaning is not an option for us. We've reached our our human limit on that, on what we're willing to do. So in the scenario that I mentioned earlier in this podcast, when my son uh, was, was looting it in a turn and he threw his feet to the ground and was about to go off the edge of the road, or did go off the edge of the road, had he straightened just as he did and then smoothly but very firmly applied both brakes in a reasonable proportion, that reason being much more on the front than the rear, not enough to lock the rear, hopefully. But even if he did lock the rear, fine. Let's get a drug shoot out there. Let's slow that bike all oh, you can with the rear, but let's really bear down on that front. Then re-engage the turn. He'd have gone right through it. No problem at all. Mm-hmm. So there was that option to, we're, we're coming into a turn hot. We are starting to lean in the turn. Oh my gosh, this is sketchy. There's grass. I don't like this. Straighten, brake, and then re-engage the turn. Hopefully before uh, you meet oncoming traffic, if you were to cross the center line, you just, you know, you shouldn't ever put yourself there, but you do and you're asking what you do when it happens. So the other scenario is I'm, I'm leaning into the turn. I, I, let's say I'm, I'm at the outside of the turn. I'm moving in towards the apex and I realize that, and I'm just about to roll on the throttle or maybe have, and I realize this is a J turn. This is a decreasing radius turn. So I can, at that point, begin braking. And the discipline that's required is that you do this smoothly because like that horse that we talked about earlier, if you upset it, it will probably pitch you off. So if you begin squeezing that front brake and begin applying the rear brake to a degree, uh, you can still slow that motorcycle down probably enough, hopefully enough to make it through that turn or at least get you to a speed that uh, you may not crash or that a crash will be at a lower speed if it happens.
0: What, and we, we've mentioned this before on the show, but what you've heard people say, it, it was so bad, I couldn't make the corner, I had to lay it down.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I wish I were that good. <laughs> I wish I were that good. You know, because I have never been able to make a motorcycle stop shorter on its side than it will with the rubber on the pavement. I've never been able to do that. So, um, you know, they did lay it down, and it's, it's a safe, a face saving um, comment, I think, for those who have done it. Um, yeah, I had to lay it down. And I mean, unless they're sliding underneath a semi, as a stunt rider would do in, in some action movies, uh, that's probably not the best thing to do. Um, gosh, I could tell you sometimes when um, I have done that and survived and the motorcycle even popped back up again i think on one of our previous discussions on one of your podcasts <laughs> i explained when that happened on a ktm 950 super enduro on pavement and i, right. you know, I just broad slid into this turn but you're, you're probably not going to benefit from laying it down there was that is typically the result of not knowing how to use the brakes properly balanced front and rear brakes while the motorcycle is on its tires and they overbraked with the rear and simply laid it down the bike went down or they grabbed the front brake and the front pushed out from under them which can happen on a turn also yep had to lay it down slid right off the road
0: <laughs> yeah you've given up everything haven't you you've given up all your control any any control you could possibly get you've given up and it just becomes of well let's see what happens because here you are skidding down the road and if you're making a right-hand corner you're skidding into possibly oncoming traffic and if you're turning to the left you're skidding off the road into who knows what a guardrail is not friendly to a motorcyclist.
1: So I risk a lot by sharing some of these stories. I'm probably compromising my integrity to a great extent, but, uh, for the sake of those who might benefit from, from the, uh, <laughs> the stories, I'll share one with you. Uh, another one in Arkansas, a few years back, uh, I was on a, um, uh, a story assignment and we were uh, traveling a lot of the really just the wonderful beautiful and twisty roads in arkansas and this was up near mountain home i believe and i think it was 114 124 some people listening might know this the road i'm talking about but it's uh it's considered one of the little dragons one of the uh, the shorter versions of the tale of the dragon that uh, are sprinkled across the country well I had stopped with a friend of mine, uh, David Bell, who was uh, a photographer on the, and and journalist on this uh, ride with us. And, uh, I said, Hey David, let's, uh, let's talk to these guys. There's a group of sport bike riders there. Let's talk to these guys. And, uh, uh, see if they'll let us let you go ahead and set up and shoot some photos of them coming around some of these turns Great idea. So we stopped and we talked to them and they made the arrangements and David went on ahead, uh, you know, four or five minutes and then the riders were getting ready and then they pulled out. I was going to wait there at the intersection for them to go do their shoot. And then David would come back and we continue on our way. Well, it occurred to me as they're putting on their their helmets and gloves and starting to go, wait, why don't I just follow them? I mean, I I, I don't think I could keep up. It'd be fun. I'm on a GS and uh, I'm a pretty decent rider. So let's just see what happens. So I took off. There were six riders. I took off behind these guys and uh, I'm running a a pair of Shinko uh, uh, 804, 805 tires, which uh, it's a big block knobby. And uh, they were, oh, half to two thirds of the way worn out. Uh, Ironically, that tire is still a pretty good road tire. It sticks when it's warmed up. Eh, Not so much when it's not quite warmed up. So we took off tires cold and uh, started following these guys, and I realized fairly quickly that uh, the, the front riders were moving ahead of the, the the three who were behind them, and the three ahead of me. Although I couldn't keep up with them on the straights by any means, th- this was a really twisty road. I was waiting for them on the turn. so I thought, okay, I'm going to have to go in faster than they are and pass them and uh, and get ahead of them on these turns. And so I did. I passed, ended up passing one, two, and three on you know, coming up on the first turn, coming up on the second, coming up on the third turn. And uh, so I was past them and chasing the next three riders. And I came into a right-hand turn really hot, really hot. And this was a slightly decreasing radius turn. And the bike began to drift. And as cool as it was to be making this drift, I could see that the trajectory was taking me into the oncoming lane, which was fortunately wide enough and, and, and long enough that I could see there wasn't a, any truck coming or anything. But there was a, a sign pole uh, right in my trajectory on the side of the road. And I, my choice was to hold my line and drift uh, until I went off the road and hit the sign pole, which was, it would have been a yard sale. But I straightened the motorcycle up, braked aggressively. Went through the ditch and immediately realized I hadn't died. The ditch was deeper than I thought, but it was relatively smooth. And I was full throttle and literally wheelied as the, as the front tire came back onto the road, still in front of that first three riders. And before that 10 mile stretch was over, I had passed the other three riders. Now that's what <laughs> stupid does, but it's, um, there were a number of things that went into play that saved my skin there, but one that could have prevented me from needing to save it was a little better judgment. So we all get into those situations there. Uh, You heard in that demonstrated both the leaning and braking, the stand up and braking, and then the maintain your composure even as you leave a a scenario that you hadn't anticipated for another, or that you had hoped would be different for another one. Uh, Keep riding the motorcycle. Don't just lay it down.
0: I guess in that story, the riders that were behind you, they must have thought you were some kind of rider.
1: They had a video of it. (laughs) I wish I could find it. Maybe I could dig it up somewhere, but they videoed it. The the rider who was the first of that last three caught me coming around, caught me going off the road and then coming back onto the road and leaving. It was beautiful. It Mm. was absolutely beautiful. Like a stunt for a movie.
0: Hey, so, um, for, for personal practice, for somebody to get out there and practice their quarters, what's the
1: best method? Um, in the, uh, the classes that I've taught, the uh, pavement style classes, we have a closed area. It's often just a parking lot and you can go out and practice the, uh, slow look, press and roll. You know, you can simply, uh, set up a turn. You can do it with cones. You can set out Coke cans or whatever you want to do. Uh, Uh, chalk, it doesn't matter. But put something down that gives you a a delineation of turn or if it's a road that's not traveled, uh, use that. But start going into that turn, practicing what we talked about for learning your sight distance. Uh, Learn what it is to know the exit of the turn before you ever began and then experiment at gradually increasing rates uh, with going into and exiting that turn gradually increase your lean uh and do it in both directions don't get to be the one-sided wonder uh turn right and then turn <laughs> left go back and forth because a left turn on a typical um uh, highway in the, anywhere united states or even in europe it's just on different sides it's a different dynamic from being on the inside closest to the shoulder versus being on the outside so uh, yeah, I'd say just kind of practice these methods outside, inside, outside path of travel, inside, inside, inside path of travel, and then middle, middle, middle path of travel and learn why when you change those, those uh, paths, it makes a difference for you to the good or to the bad.
0: And you would say n- none of those are, are the right way where the others are wrong?
1: No. There is a reason for all, inside, 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 especially if you're on uh, back roads where there may not be a center line. Uh, you know, as I, I mentioned briefly earlier, the the backcountry discovery route campaign or uh, organization has a ride-right campaign. That's the word I was looking for, for the ride-right campaign. Mm-hmm. And they advocate always riding to the right, to the uh, inside or to the outside of a right-hand or a left-hand turn uh, so that you're farthest from uh, oncoming traffic that is riding correctly on their side of the road, even still, things can happen. So there is a there is an argument for inside 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 path of travel on a right turn, uh, or on a left, or, or outside 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 on a left hand turn. Uh, middle 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 allows buffer on both. So if you're not in a hurry, or if it's raining uh, and you don't need to be pushing the speed at all uh ride middle 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 it gives you a little bit more room from any potential traffic that's pulling out on your right uh or from from either side of the road i suppose but um uh and it gives you buffer to actually maneuver to one side or the other and then if you want to pick up the pace then start using outside inside outside path of travel just don't use the whole road never use the whole road it's real easy uh To just go out and say, well, you know, I can move in if there's oncoming traffic and I'll cross the center line and, you know, I'm feeling full of myself. And, uh, you know, many of us have done that. I haven't in years, not deliberately and not very often, even in the past 20 or 30 years, have I gone on the other side of the center line to negotiate a turn. But I would say I would uh, would suggest experimenting with all three of those methods. Uh, Then. You can begin to bring trail braking into it. Uh, Practice not just doing your braking before the turn, but uh, begin to use both brakes, your front more than your rear, as you approach a turn, and then gradually uh, decrease the amount that you're squeezing as you lean more. And if you're leaning quite a bit and you begin your braking, you can increase your braking as you're straightening. So don't push it to the point that you're at threshold where the tires are sliding, But even without pressing that, I think you would be amazed, especially inexperienced or or relatively new riders or riders who have not been deliberate about practicing will be amazed at how much more performance they can get out of their motorcycle by, uh, by practicing the braking in these turns.
0: Do you find that um, you're sort of giving up when you're on your right hand side, you know, and I understand totally that staying right on the trail, it makes perfect sense to me. And and I'm totally behind that concept, but there is a, a loss of visibility when you're on the inside of the corner, as opposed to if you're out more on the outside of the corner.
1: You're exactly right. Um, There's always a compromise. You know, when we ride motorcycles, we compromise a a lot of things uh, just by virtue of the fact we're on a motorcycle. So uh, when we're riding and the decisions that we make, uh, we have to choose the best among them. And riding right may put us in a position where we're less likely to be in harm's way from oncoming traffic, yet less able to see oncoming traffic. So... uh, in a, a dirt environment, in on the narrower roads where there is no center line, um, it still can be somewhat subjective because if you were all the way to the left, and I'm talking left of complete trail width, you might be able to see around that turn, which would be better than being to the right of the turn and having a, a razor come sliding through sideways and, and using the whole lane, you know, the whole road. Mm-hmm. So those are decisions that we have to make kind of on the fly as we're moving. But I would suggest that the general principle of riding right puts us out of harm's way more times than it puts us in harm's way.
0: That makes sense. Right. Now, you'd mentioned steering head bearings, and particularly when when we're talking about cornering here, but even as a general maintenance issue.
1: Yeah, uh, steering head bearings, that's that's really a good example of things that can begin to go wrong. And it, it's sort of the boiling of frog tendency. If we're riding a motorcycle mile after mile, year after year, uh, it's a service item on motorcycles, but it's an often neglected service item as well. So the steering head bearings uh, can begin to form what we call a detent. A detent is nothing more than a, a, a depression that the bearing sort of falls into. And that happens because of corrosion. And it also happens because of a bearing just getting loose over time and being hammered uh, with that fork moving fore and aft. It tends to hammer that ball or roller bearing, depending on what type we have, into a uh, into that depression. And the worse it gets, the worse it gets. It's a compounding situation. The way that manifests itself, is that there is a, um, uh, we, we suddenly notice the motorcycle is always wandering. It's, it's hunting left, hunting right. I had a, um, uh, a good friend, um, Donnell Lynn, uh, who's a, a she's a, a world record holder, Guinness uh, Book of a World Record Holder.
0: We, we had her on the show a number of years ago. Actually.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think Yes, I think Donnell has been. She uh, called me up one time and said, hey, I'm passing through Oklahoma on my world record attempt can I send some tires out there? And is there a shop that can change them? I said, well, Danelle, we can change your tires here and you're welcome to, to be our guest. So she came, she was a gracious guest. Uh, we had the new tires. I looked at her old tires and said, Danelle, your tires don't look bad. Are you just wanting to keep them fresh? She said, well, the bike is handling poorly. Uh, I'm getting this pain, this tension behind my neck. And someone mentioned to me that I needed tires Uh, that the tires were kind of getting square or something. And they they were not even really showing much of that. I don't want to discredit who suggested that. I I think they meant well, but they weren't off enough to be a problem, especially not the problem she was discussing. So I said, let's do this. We put the bike on the center stand and I began to rotate the wheel, uh, the steering back and forth. And sure enough, you could feel this little spot where it would just kind of settle into. And you had to sort of bump it one way or the other to get it to break over and then fall to one side or the other. And it was almost imperceptible. But with the weight of the motorcycle on it, there was no question she had a detent in her steering. She had steering head bearings that were uh, fairly well into the the failure stage, Uh, not failure as in they would fragment but failure as they were creating a handling issue for her motorcycle. So we went through that and a number of other things on her motorcycle here in the shop and uh, the new steering head bearings absolutely fixed the problem. So that has happened on a a number of motorcycles that had her her bike at that time had 40 some thousand miles. It can happen with less miles and it can happen with more, but that's something that people often don't understand can affect their handling, the handling of their motorcycle, the ability to comfortably go straight and the ability to turn.
0: You mentioned the frog being boiled. Talk about that in relation to this.
1: Yeah. So, of course, the, the standard thought there is that the, the frog is in a pot of water that's room temperature and you begin to turn up the fire and he just swims around and now it's a it's a hot tub, but he's enjoying it. And eventually he's ready to eat, never knew he was in trouble. So for the steering head bearings, they're just gradually, progressively getting a little worse.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and it's very difficult to notice, in particular, if you're not mechanically inclined, if you don't follow these things. Like I, I've done this before and what it wasn't in my case is, is just neglect. It's because I keep thinking I've got to do them, I've got to do them. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And sometimes it's not an asset to know how to fix your own vehicle because you tend to let that go because you, oh, I know exactly what it is, but the thing is you, you tend to ride into it. You, you know, I, I have my the little detent showing up in it. Oh, obviously there's some clearance there and I, you can't tighten it up. Otherwise you tighten up the detent and uh, you tend to ride into it. You, you get fairly used to riding with this ridiculous detent in your bike, which obviously seriously affects your, your handling both on and off road.
1: And that's one of the, the pitfalls of only riding one motorcycle all the time, never going down to the dealership and test riding a fresh new bike. Um, but, but that is only one factor. There are some other factors that come into play that, that gradually get worse. Uh, I remember uh, going down and having my motorcycle looked at. And this was a, a motocross bike that I was riding and I was just learning. And the, the fellow held it by the handlebar and he shook the motorcycle right and left and he was checking for my spokes to see, uh, spokes and wheel bearings, just very quickly to see how much wobble I was getting there. And the spokes were a little bit loose on the bike. You know, I'd beat them up pretty profusely uh, racing. And he said, yeah, you can make this handle a lot better if you'll tighten this stuff up. And so he helped me and we did that. that was, uh, it was during the day that people were very kind, to, and people still are, I think, to a young aspiring racers. But, uh, yeah, so he took me through the process and I began to learn how to true wheels and tighten spokes Uh, And then the wheel bearings themselves. So anything that upsets a motorcycle, that causes it to change, that's not a change that you wanted it to make, can create a a lag between your inputs, even if they're correct, and the response that it provides for you on the road.
0: Swing arm bearings
1: as well. That would be the next place to go. Uh, In that little side-by-side shake test, you also can see that. And of course, we have multiple types of suspension. Some are are a direct attachment of the shock absorber to the upper forward portion of the swing arm. Some have a linked system and either can become problematic. Uh, So the pivot bearing on the swing arm itself and then the links that provide the damping uh, or the transfer of damping from the shock absorber to the motion of that swing arm, as these get either worn or stiff, they can still be tight. But they are—they're uh, very, very stiff because the lubrication has gone or corrosion has set in. These can cause uh, ill-handling characteristics for a motorcycle.
0: Another way, I guess, with the, with the spokes, is to to tap it with a metal object. Listen for the change in sound from one spoke to the other.
1: Yeah, you can just uh, you know put your bike on the center stand if it has one, uh, or you can leave it on the side stand and just run your uh, a, a wrench screwdriver, whatever, around the spokes and listen for the difference. And when you get that thud, uh, that spoke is probably on its way to being loose or already loose.
0: Bill, that's great information. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. and, And good luck with your season.
1: Thank you, Jim. It's been my pleasure as always.
0: was speaking with Bill Dragoo from DART, which is Dragoo Adventure Rider Training in Norman, Oklahoma. You can find out more about what they do at BillDragoo.com. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and of course to you for listening to the show now if you enjoy what we're doing here at Adventure Rider Radio you can do us a favor please go to Apple Podcasts and and give us a 5 star rating matter of fact everywhere you find podcasts pop in give us a rating it helps other people find the show and if you know somebody who might like what you've heard today we'd appreciate it if you just share the episode with them and wait one more thing Adventure Rider Radio is built on a model of some advertising and then listener support Now you can support with any amount. Anything $10 or more gets you an Adventure Rider Radio sticker for your pannier, your toolbox. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. That's our other show that comes out monthly. Separate subscription you have to do for that. So just go and subscribe separately where you get podcasts but we would appreciate it greatly if you just drop by our website and have a look at our patron account. Consider becoming a patron supporter because we need you as a patron supporter. All at adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. All the information's there. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week.
1: Hi, I'm Sean Thomas and this is Adventure Rider Radio.